I'm not going to comment because then I'm just an asshole. I hope you've been recording because I have been. I have. I've been recording for a solid three minutes and ten seconds. That's one of my favorite bits in other people's podcasts when it, the guest will be like, so have we started? Are we doing this now? <laughs> I love it. Like, yeah, we, we started ten minutes ago. My favorite. Mark Hamill. <laughs> oh, Mark Hamill. Um, I started watching The Flash. Speaking of Mark Hamill. Oh, yeah? Yeah. From the beginning? Yeah, from the beginning. Um, and I had a moment in the first episode where I'm like, is his dad the original Flash? <laughs> like, I had a whole moment of, huh, okay. So, yeah, I started watching, I'm like on season two now. Yeah, oh, just, it's just past like Earth 2. Um, my nephew really likes The Flash, and my niece came over one day, and we were watching Supergirl, at, because as you do. Um, and she was talking about The Flash because it was an episode that Maya had recommended mm-hmm. to me called World's Finest, and The Flash is in it. Yeah, that's the one. Yes, that's the one I'm thinking of. Uh, and so Morgan and I were watching it and she was talking all about the flash. And then I was talking to my nephew about the flash over Christmas and, and, and the pugs have strong opinions about the flash. Haters. Apparently. Um, I bet they watch agents of shield. (laughs) God fucking Marvel. Um, I was actually watching X-Men Apocalypse and live tweeting it to someone the other day. And I was talking about Nightcrawler being Mystique's son in the comics. And I was like, you know, Nightcrawler is actually Mystique's son, but they're not addressing that at all. I have to say, Evan Peters is Quicksilver. Probably the highlight of that film for me. Absolutely. Because that film, I fucking hated. (laughs) Like, it took me three watch, like three times to like fully watch it. Um, I liked the new casting. Um, the new Cyclops, the new Jean Grey, a.k.a. Sansa. Yeah, Sophie Turner. I I think I called this, though, like, uh, X-Men weird dialects. Because it was, like, the German dialect, but then it was, like, Rose Byrne being American. And it was Sophie Turner being American. And it was uh, Oscar Isaac and whatever that was. I think... Um, so, yeah, so that was... My biggest sorry. complaint with that... Not that that film, because that film is just kind of a mess, but I really, I like what they've tried to do with the whole prequel reboot alternate timeline thing as a concept, Mm -hmm. but the thing that drives me up the wall is a character who's originally from Scotland, but her name is Moira McTaggart, and they don't even bother. They're like, no, she's American CIA. That's not a... Not a, that's not like a super Scottish name or anything. That's just she's an American. Don't be don't be racist. <laughs> Come on, guys. <laughs> my my I, my assumption. I actually was thinking about this was uh, X Men First Class. She came into audition. They were like, oh, she's got the look. Like we're totally into Roseburn. But her because uh, she's Australian, and so my assumption is her Australian like attempt at Scottish was just awful. And they were like. Nope, you're American now. Somewhere in the neighborhood of Sean Connery playing a Spaniard. Yes, like 100%. That's what it is. <laughs> we really should have a podcast to, uh, with us talking about like graphic novels and comic books. I think it honestly could be like a series of podcasts. But because I, I've gotten back into Fable, <gasps> which, you know. 
Now, do I know, you, right? Do you have newfound appreciation for my hatred of Once Upon a Time? Okay, so I do and I don't because I am a firm believer of if you're going to have a strong hatred for something, you need to watch a consistent amount of it. Like, I am a firm hater of girls. Like, I okay. like okay. I do not like girls. But I am allowed to not like girls because I have watched every single fucking episode of Girls. Like, I have watched that. I have stayed with it. And I think, like, no, you don't have to watch the entire series, but I'm a person that also likes to finish the series, so I feel like I understand, like, maybe they, like, started with something and it morphed into something else, but, like, maybe at the end it made sense. Oh. Like, because sometimes that does happen. That does happen, but... Um, and I and I do have to say, last season of Girls, though I really am not a huge fan of it anymore, like, I think, uh, like, I, I thought, I had appreciation for what they were doing at first, and then I wanted to grab my eyes and throw them across the room but yeah I think the last season there were two episodes that were incredibly quality one of which was um it was actually very well reviewed by a lot of people who I admire and it was kind of uh it was kind of in reference to Panic at Needle Needle Park I think that's what it's called the it's like a 70s film um John Dunn was the screenwriter Married to Joan Didion, who I'm reading a lot of right now, and that's why I know that. I was going to say, this is, um, this is quite the did you know section on IMDb. Adair is very smart sometimes. Um, but it was this whole episode involving this character from the first season, Christopher Abbott, um, who was in Whiskey, no, Tango, Foxtrot. Foxtrot okay. or, yeah, which I just saw and I actually really liked. I was surprised how much I liked it. Martin Freeman as a love interest, I can't really get behind. But otherwise, yeah. Um, <laughs> Neither sorry. could the creators of Sherlock. <laughs> <laughs> um, neither could his domestic partner of many years. <gasps> two kids? Three kids? I think two. I think two. Um God. I know uh, they wrapped they wrapped filming a while ago, but there was still like an added they, layer of meta. <laughs> well, yeah, they like broke. Well, they broke up, and then they started filming. No. Yeah. No. Really? There's there's an interview. There's an interview with her where she said it was super awkward at first. Yeah. Yikes. I haven't watched any of Sherlock uh, this season yet, because I kind of want to wait until it's all out. They underwrite her considerably. <laughs> like, I oh I can imagine, <laughs> which is You're unfortunate because like, wow. she's an interesting character. She is. She really is. Um, I think you can watch all three on PBS now. Oh, can you? Yeah. All right. Courtney and I just finished the season like an hour before we started recording. Oh well, thanks for taking time. Um, yeah, stop. Well, you know, you know. Yeah. Um, I do want to. I do want to take a moment and directly thank you for not only my lovely Christmas present and my K two S O bobblehead. Um, You're welcome. Those of you in, in the podcast world can't see that I'm bobbling the microphone. <laughs> now you can hear it. There it is. That's that's a K two S O bobblehead. I gave that I gave that bobblehead to two of my favorite nerds for Christmas. Don't tell me who the other one You're is. You're one of them. Because I'll have to fight him. I don't know why. I'm not really sure how how that fight would go, honestly. No, um, when I saw the movie, which was both very fun and very frustrating, because I've told you my Star Wars story and how much I really wanted to see this one with my dad. Um, Yeah. You can look at episode, uh, chapter seven, titled uh, Poetry Droids, and 
Holiday Laundry? I think that's what it's called. Yeah, Poetry uh, Droids and Holiday Laundry, yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm like, I titled it something. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, that, uh, that rosy veneer of childhood nostalgia was slightly eroded by my father checking his phone to see my sister's flight status as she was coming in for Christmas while we were watching the movie. And I wanted to, like, go, Dad! And finally, at one point, I was like, put your phone away. She's on the plane. You can't do anything about it. Just put your phone away. You're not even picking her up. But, um, but, uh, I kept an extra special eye on K2SO and that, uh... Best droid ever, right? I considered the comparison a very high compliment. Yeah. He's the best droid, though. Like... Oh, yeah. Best right. Ever. Ever, ever, mm-hmm. ever. Um, question, where does Rogue One rate for you as far as Star Wars movies go? I'm very intrigued to know this. Because you're a big mm. Star Wars fan. And I'm a, I am also a big Star Wars fan, but not to the level that you are. Yes. It all changed on my 13th birthday when my sister randomly picked up a Star Wars novel for me. Little did she know that Heir to the Empire was one of Timothy Zahn's seminal classics and the first real venture into unknown territory, telling stories past when Return of the Jedi ended. It's so good. It was the premiere of Grand Admiral Thrawn, who's one of my favorite characters, who's now on Star Wars Rebels Season 3. You should watch it. It's so good. Anyways, I would rate Rogue One. Let's see here. I'll start from the bottom. Um, I love... Sorry, can I... I'm just pausing. That was amazing. That was amazing. (laughs) Like, the actions... Like... I just realized we haven't turned off our screens yet, so I never have seen you actually podcast, and this is amazing. We are, uh, we usually do turn our cameras off. I don't know if it was my laptop or just my internet's running better today, but we're actually, there's no leg. So, um, if I'm going to start from the bottom and build this, build this up, the, okay, 90, 85 to 90% of Phantom Metis is my least favorite. Um, saving, of course, uh, all the lightsaber fight at the end. I am a, I'm a big fan of, big, big fan. Then I would say, um, Attack of the Clones, reinsert that lightsaber battle above Attack of the Clones, and then I would put, uh, Revenge of the Sith, because I do think it, it got better. I think there's still, <sighs> Carrie Fisher did her best to help him rewrite those, but he wouldn't let her do too much. Um, and then I would say Return of the Jedi, original Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back was my order. And I would put Rogue One above Return of the Jedi, maybe, probably tied with the original. Um, as far as a film goes, uh, the original Star Wars was pretty cohesive and a nice complete package. And Rogue One had some structural issues that you, it was evident there were rewrites and reshoots and things. But only by paying close attention and seeing things like the crystal that she wore around her neck that never went anywhere. Oh, wait, I should probably say spoilers. Yeah, <laughs> spoilers. spoilers. So, Star Wars spoilers. Star Wars spoilers. So if you haven't seen it by now, well, you probably went to see Hidden Figures this weekend. You probably didn't go to Star Wars Rogue One. Um, My coworker but, was going to Hidden Figures today, and I'm like, you should see Rogue One. Uh, Rogue One. And she's like, I don't really like that stuff. I'm like, you should see it. <laughs> You're like... <laughs> How dare you? Um, no, and then I just, um, it, it, it was a little more challenging because it was a larger cast that was assembled over some period of time. Like the whole first act was kind of getting the team together. And so mm-hmm. we didn't get as much time invested with anyone other than Felicity Jones and Diego Luna. 
Um, we really got a lot of time with them in K2SO. They were kind of our Han, Luke, and Leia for this one. Really, I would um, say Han, Luke, and Chewie. Uh, yes, on functioning level. No, on um, how much I like them, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I guess, like, I, I think I'm one of those people that wasn't a huge fan of Leia in the first movie. Like, I genuinely, like, I think she's an amazing character, but I wasn't really into her as a character for the first movie. I mean, Sorry. you've known me a long time and just, oh, man. Aren't you a little short for a stormtrooper? Somebody get this walking carpet out of my way. Just like her just being her constant not giving a shit. Yes. did she, No, I do yeah. love that. Did she need to be rescued? Yes. But she also didn't need to be rescued. Like when he showed up, she was like, yeah, I've just been tortured for a few hours. What about it? I still look hot. I don't care. I'm competent. Yeah, she's awesome. She was awesome. No, I, I really like the original Star Wars. I think it's. I think it had a li- it had a definitely a different vibe. I think just as far as films go, I would say um, Rogue One is a better film than most Star Wars films. I think Empire Strikes Back is still the best constructed, best written. It had, I mean, it had everything going for it: new director, help on the writing, um, an energized story with higher stakes, serious consequences, fantastic quotable lines. I mean, it is. It's it's like people point to that and The Godfather Part Two as like the justification to make sequels. They're like, yeah, it's okay. It'll it'll be an Empire Strikes Back or it'll be Godfather Two. Not everybody says, you know, it's it's gonna be The Hangover Two. <laughs> uh, no one wants to see those guys sweaty in in Thailand. No one does. Let's just let's be real about that one. Um, I would say it's my second favorite Star Wars movie. Yeah. Yeah, after Empire Strikes Back, which, I mean, the Cloud City, just in general, like, wowed me as a child. And then I rewatched the Star Wars, the uh, the original three, um, twice when I had swine flu. I mean, I had watched them a few times as as I was growing up, but when I was a senior in college, I had swine flu. And so I watched them, that entire series, twice while dealing with that. And a lot of the Big Lebowski. I, like, watched The Big Lebowski on repeat. I don't know why. Um, But I remember it made me totally okay if I was dying. Like, I was like, I thought I was dying. And so I was like, you know, at least I watched the Star Wars trilogy, like, a few more times. I did that when I, um, I think, was it Strep? I don't remember. I was really sick in high school for a couple of days. And I watched um, The Man With No Name trilogy. Uh, fistful of dollars, few dollars more, good, the bad, and the ugly. And I had never done that before. I was trying to think of the second one. Thank you for naming them. I was like, shit, what's the second one? Um, but I definitely <laughs> got them in like the $5 bin at Walmart that had all three for five bucks. And I was like, yes, DVD will never go away, said 16-year-old Dan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's good. Four and three and two and one. Okay, you know what's hilarious was I was going to do that when we started this conversation. It's good to be back. Uh, that was such a good, that was such a good night of my life. And I know you know what that night it is. Bitching. That was like one of the best nights of my adult life. I still, I still believe that. I felt like we could have, we could have been a B storyline on a successful young adult drama on a on a premium cable network. A dare's hunt for the cannoli. 
<laughs> like that was that was that was such a cool night because one it snowed in March in New York, which seems to happen actually a fair amount. But I remember it started snowing and we were walking from that Doctor Who themed bar to the place to get pizza and then we walked down to get cannoli. But just like how it was snowing and we were just like kind of just drunk at that point. It was such a good night. Running running to get to pizza. Oh, man. Well, I remember... Dancing. Replaying the theme song to Broad City over, <laughs> over and over. over and over and just, like, jumping phone. around. Oh, God, it was so good. And I remember I didn't sleep that night, so that was the first night I ever watched uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend was that night because I ended up not going to sleep because I knew I had to catch the the subway uh, at, like, 4 a.m. Great thinking of dare. An important night. I mean, you watched Crazy Ex-Girlfriend for the first time. Forget about the fun that you, me, and Courtney had. Like, that's that's a big deal. That's also the night where the photo of me holding three wine glasses consecutively happened. And that night changed my life as far as, like, knowing how much alcohol I could grab at one time. It's been a ride. It's been a ride. (laughs) What a long, strange journey it's been. So all of this is to say, what have I been writing lately? Um, A lot of poems. I Almost finished. I, I unfortunately in November did not finish my Texas poetry book, but I've almost finished it, and that makes me really happy. As well, it should. Uh, it's it's getting long, and so it might not be a chat book anymore. It might be an actual poetry book. Um, now, when you say long, how long is long? Um, I originally anticipated fifteen poems, fifteen to sixteen, like two or three, like longer. And, and what, are, what are you at now? I'm at about 40, which I was like, oh, okay. So I think I could still do it. I just need to figure out, I don't know, I'm, I'm figuring out what's working. 40 isn't, 40 isn't too long for a chapbook. I mean, double-sided. Yeah, it have, it, well, that's the thing is it have to be double-sided because a chapbook is normally 20. Like from right. what I've but if experienced, you just like just shove it in there, which I do all the time, all the time. Gross, gross. <laughs> uh, what else have I been doing? Um, so I, over the summer, submitted some stuff, and I found out a few weeks ago that one of my pieces that, and I will, I'm gonna preface it by saying, I don't remember the edits I made on this poem. <laughs> But it's going to be on a bus in Seattle. I know. It's so exciting. So I forgot I submitted this. Like, I mean, I know in the back of my weird brain. I remember when you submitted it. Really? You do? Because I don't. Mm-hmm. I mean. It... Yeah. You you had me look at it again. You were like, I think I'm going to send this one. In. Yeah. But then I found out there was a 50 word limit on these poems because, you know, buses ain't cheap. And so I. I don't know if you ever been on a bus, but buses ain't cheap. <laughs> Not in Seattle. They're all hybrid and shit. Um, so, yeah, I I submitted it, but I, I can't... I, I'm actually going to later read this poem, uh, the long version of it. I, for the life of me, could not tell you what version of this poem is the one that actually got accepted. So, yeah, it's... I mean, it's cool. It's very cool. It's It was about 1,600 people submitted poetry of... I can't remember how many got accepted. It was around, it was a few hundred. Like it was like two or 300, I think. 
they're gonna put your name on it, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Do the poem. And oh yeah, yeah. And... Yeah, it's Sweet. it's all there. Um, I'm I'm gonna be there. Uh, it's I'm gonna be on it. Um, yeah, and then there's a big. I don't know. I'm just talking now. Maybe instead of your name, they could just put that picture of you holding three wine glasses at once. <laughs> I, okay, I'll, po- I'll post that on the Twitter, too. Um, I actually, w- I'm cleaning out my computer, and I found a photo of you and I, not from the last trip I was in New York, but the trip before, and we're on the Brooklyn Bridge, and we're like, ah! And so I was like, oh, man, why is that not on our Twitter right now? That's amazing. Um but yeah, we we tend to get about a year's worth of photos into that one time into, when we see each the, other. Yeah, that one week when Adair comes to New York. Um, uh, but yeah, so it was. It's it's very exciting though. Like I'm pretty I'm pretty stoked. There's going to be a big party in April, and so uh, I get to go to that and get free booze and get to call myself an artist and shit. I've been writing for a company right now, but the first post that I have written will be up tomorrow you know adult stuff adult stuff adult stuff adult stuff so yeah that's that's uh i've mainly been doing that i started writing not kind of an essay i don't know it's i'm i'm it's becoming different things so that's going to be interesting it might depending on the length of the poetry book it actually might go into into that because it has a similar theme so yeah, we'll see. I'm also reading a ton. I have read three books already in 2017. Nice. Yeah, I'll talk about and that. Me. What? <laughs> How many have you <laughs> read? Me, I'm, I'm only on book two. Mm, what books are they? Tell me. Um, I. So I read um, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child finally. Oh um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Finally, um, because. Okay, so then I guess I have read more than... Okay. Um, but I read that finally, which uh, was very enjoyable and sentimental as a Harry Potter fan and very difficult as a fan of the theater. Yeah. yeah. Like, That's what I was waiting for. I was like, okay. <sighs> when I read it, like, I was I like, see the, I see the seed of this, but at the same time, it's really cheap. I'm like, I don't... Spoiler alert... I don't want to see Snape again. I don't want to see Dumbledore again. Like, I don't... Let those characters die their magnificent deaths. And if we're going to move forward, move forward. I thought the character reveals were great. I loved using the time turner like that. And dealing with what the legacy would have felt like for the kids. Those were interesting to me. The fan service elements, I'm like... It's very interesting how much Cedric Diggory plays into so much. Which I was like, who would have thunk that? How to thank it. Yeah, I mean, when you think about it, it is a huge turning point. It is a big moment where he, like, Harry got lucky, like, really lucky one more time. Um, but, no, I, I read that, and I'm reading um, uh, a TV writing book right now for the second time. But because I'm working, um, I'm working very hard on a original pilot, um, and a spec script that I started last year and then kind of abandoned for Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. And I found it again because um, I was thinking about spec script ideas. And then I was like, wait, didn't I start one of these? And I was like, oh, yeah, I started one for Bob's Burgers. And then I started one for Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. And I found it and it actually made me laugh. And I, I wrote it, you know, a while ago and I hated it, and I kind of hated it. So I let it go. 
I was like, wait, there's some good stuff here. So I've been working on both of those and aggressively watching a lot of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and um, and uh, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt and like uh, 30 Rock and um, Friends and a lot of comedies. I'm going to get into Grimm. Um, I've heard interesting things about that. Um, yeah, Grimm or Supernatural have a similar vibe to the pilot that I'm writing, at least from what I understand of both of them. But I don't. Um, basically, the the pitch is, without going too much into it, is it's The Office meets Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, well, I love so it's that like a paranormal paranormal workplace comedy. Well, it should be um, in the Pacific Northwest because Grimm gets shot a lot in this area. I know a lot of people who have been on Grimm. Like, as extras and, like, uh, as creatures and stuff like that. But it's kind of funny. Well, I was trying, I was I was gearing it towards fictionalized uh, California town for ease of Hollywood pickup. And then I was like, I I don't want to do that. So now it takes place in New York because I can actually write with a little more authority about it. There you go. Like, I don't, I don't like Googling this stuff. I'm just, I'm going to name locations and things and occurrences that I... I have a lot more firsthand knowledge about. Which I appreciate because one of my annoyances, and this kind of goes back to I read things and I watch things uh, so I can have an opinion about them because I don't feel like I can have just like be annoyed. So, hold on, hold on, hold on. Time out. You're going to shit talk Fifty Shades of Grey, aren't you? Yeah. Ah, I knew it. Uh, yeah, totally. Because I've read, I've read all three. I think there's three. There might be four. I've read three. It was something to do you when you I had... You haven't read Grey when she redid the first one from from Christian Grey's perspective? You have a wife. I don't know these things. Sorry. No, um, I have an internet connection and too much time. <laughs> Fair point. No, not too not, much Not anymore. No time anymore. Um, yeah, I, I read the first three... The summer that I moved here, not really because I like had just moved here, but because I had like a friend. <laughs> like I, I moved here knowing really like two people. I, I mean, you understand this. Like I knew no no one when I moved to Seattle. Really, I didn't have a job. I didn't have a home. It was a whole thing. Um. So yeah, it. I read a lot. I mean, I still read a lot. My boss actually recently just said, you seem like someone who reads a lot. <laughs> um, I should tell you all about my work retreat this weekend because I learned so much about how people perceive me. But yeah, so I read those books because they were in the discount bin at the third price books. Third place books. Not, I was thinking about half price books. Sorry. Um, people in Seattle will care. Uh, so third place books, there was like a bin and all three of them were there. And I was like, why the fuck not? They're in the trash somewhere now. Um, but I read all three of them just on off days when I wasn't working. Cause I did eventually get a job spoiler. And, um, I, it is so clearly written by someone who looked at a map of Seattle. <laughs> like, and that was it. Uh, so it was kind of funny, like reading it. Uh, now also because it was funny then, but now knowing more, it's even more ridiculous. And I, I'm ashamed, not really, because I'm a human being in the United States of America. I saw Twilight, um, uh, the, the last one, 
and there's a part that goes into like Seattle and I just went to, I like watched it I'm like there's no fucking way that's in Seattle and my biggest annoyance with uh the movie Fifty Shades of Grey which Megan and I drunkenly purchased on my Amazon uh Prime account because we were just like let's fucking watch it and we were gonna make fun of it and then we were watching it and we're like oh this is so bad we can't even like really make fun of it we like were trying to live tweet it this was spring we had too much time but yeah it, the most hilarious part of either of those movies is people, the idea that someone could get parking in downtown Seattle and not go into a parking garage. Like, oh, conveniently, I'll park in front of his building. No, that's not fucking happening. See, downtown Seattle is very condensed and the parking is for shit. So shut up. So yeah, sorry. That's yeah. my that's my tangent. Now, those sorts of um, writer inaccuracies when you're writing about a place that you don't live or haven't been much or whatever, um, the only time I've ever seen someone really address that as an author was Stephen King in the foreword to The Dark Tower, the seventh volume in the Dark Tower series. Because there's a huge part at the end, near the end, that takes place in um, the World Trade Center. Um, it takes place... But, yeah, it's back in time, so it's it's like, okay, but... He fudges some New York City streets and some locations, like, pretty bad. But he needed to for story reasons. And so he writes this diatribe about, yes, I know that's not where that is. Yes, I know you couldn't get there that quickly. Yes, I know this is an impossible situation. Understand that I don't care because I'm Stephen King and I wrote this anyways. So shut up. I love that. (laughs) Oh, it's another reason for me to love Stephen King, is that. Oh, absolutely. So good. Um, Speaking of people who are writers, you know who else was a writer? Who? A man named Truman Capote. Oh. You know what he once once said? What? I wanted to be a tap dancer. Uh, Took us 33 minutes to get into our quote, but... It was great. You know, I feel that uh, structure um, should be learned from Quentin Tarantino. It's whatever you want it to be. No, I, when I was giving you your quotes, I was kind of, I was like, I'm giving him Truman Capote, so I can't imagine he's not going to use it. Uh, but I didn't want you to think it was like your Ayn Rand quote where it was complete bullshit. <laughs> no, I think it's so true. Because, like, I didn't, I, I don't think I consciously wanted to be a writer um, until I was... 18, I wanted to be a writer, um, but not in like a, a serious way. And then I think um, the, I don't know if I could put an exact moment on it, but it just slowly, just the amount of control you can have and truer expression. Um, like I've often said, I don't want to, the reason I don't go to open casting calls or anything is I don't want to do 14 productions of Annie so I can get to do one production of Assassins. Like I hate a lot of things that are involved with acting and the game around it. But um, no, I think like the Capote quote really got to me because I was like, I never, I never really wanted to be a writer. I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be a, before that, the, uh, this was my, my plan. I was going to join the Marines, get them to pay for college and grad school then I was going to start a uh, business in Montana. I was going to be governor before I was 40. And then I was going to be president of the United States. Um, so I am like drastically behind. I should have I should have graduated from law school at this point. Um, 
But it's funny. It's funny how um, the things you think you want or the things you think define you. Like this would go circle back nicely to uh, how people perceived you at this retreat. But um, it's weird to go from being like known among family or friends as like the funny guy to oh Dan's a writer. Dan, Dan's a producer. That's that's what Dan... Dan's very serious about entertainment and art. And it's like this... It's just a very... It's an interesting tonal shift. It's totally um, true, though. I think my family's finally figured it out. Like, I think they, yeah. they realize it's, like, not just a phase. They're like, okay, she... So how did... <laughs> how did your coworkers see you? Like, how was this retreat? Um, so... It was weird... First off, it's weird to just never have, not have a weekend. And I got an awful migraine the second day. Awful, awful, awful. It was super weird because they kept talking about me like being like hip. Basically a big conversation. We were doing a lot of like things we have in common, things we don't have in common. And one of the things was everyone was like, we all like Starbucks. Oh, maybe not Adair. Adair might not like Starbucks. Like, and just this whole idea of like, I am like, locally sourced or something and I just like looked at them like no it's fucking easy it's it, there's like this idea that people in Seattle don't like Starbucks but the fact is it's so it's convenient as all get out so yeah some people may not but I am not one of those people and so it's just stuff like that but then at one point my boss was like oh you might know this girl she I mean she's also really cool and hip and stuff and I was just like and I just like looked at her like would we call me hip Oh man, my my screen froze at an awful point. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I was just like, would we say I was hip though? Like that, I don't really think that's a thing. And they're like, oh yeah. And we were talking about how I'm from Montana, which that because we were doing the things we have in common and things we don't have in common. And they're like, Adair's from Montana, no one else is. And the owner of the company was like, because she also knows I have. Uh, a deep respect and love for Texas, the state of Texas. We've discussed this a bit, but I, yes, I do. I love Texas very much for many reasons. And uh, she was just like, I'm super confused how you're like uh, this Montana girl, you love Texas, all these things, but yet you like live in this metropolis and you're like, you're like in this art scene. And I was just like, well, I'm, you know, I'm an oxymoron in a lot of ways, but it's just who I am. Like, I love certain things. Like, Texas, for me, is, like, if Montana could be bigger and a little, like, that was, I mean, like, if it could be a larger, if it could give me larger cities with more opportunity, that's what Texas is to me. Because I do love Montana. Don't get me wrong. I just can't live in Montana. Yeah, Um, I get you. But, yeah, so, I mean, like, that's part of what Texas is for me. And... I love the big skies. I love the clouds. I love, you know, just the crazy storms. I love the. I love several of the cities. I mean, haven't been to San Antonio yet, but I've I've not heard amazing things. Tignataro definitely kind of didn't sell me on it the other night. So, what are you not a fan of the Spurs? <laughs> no, man. Sorry. I was. Do you I- like the Sonics? <laughs> They don't exist anymore. Thanks for rubbing it in. <laughs> Actually, it was funny because for the first time ever in my house yesterday, uh, my sister and I were watching football together. That's not the first. That 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 happens every Sunday or Saturday or Thursday, depending. Um, 
but we were rooting for two different teams and it was probably one of the most enjoyable things because we've always rooted for the same teams but it was the uh it was the cowboys versus the packers and so and it was it was a good game and i know you don't give a shit about this but it was a good (laughs) game and because it was like it was like three to twenty for a while, and you're like, okay, Aaron Rodgers is being Aaron Rodgers, and this game is is over. Um, although I had hope, and the game, like it was, it was neck and neck for the last minute of that game, and it was just like, it was an, a very impressive kick by the Packers that got them to win, and it was like by three points, it was amazing i think it was 20 to 31 it was a beautiful game but it also made it hurt really hard for me (laughs) i think i don't love um like following sports because it's kind of exhausting for me but i do love a good game Mm -hmm. because good games are inherently dramatic like the opening part of that mammoth book i never showed up about three uses of the knife he has a section there where he talks about the perfect game and what is a perfect baseball game it's not a shutout and it's not like a zero zero like rain out or whatever it's the dramatic back and forth of two teams playing at their best and then someone getting hurt and then somebody coming back and then oh no that they were they were out they weren't safe and the the drama inherent of the back and forth between oh, yeah. two well-matched teams is great. I mean, it's gladiatorial through like a hero's journey lens and other storyteller buzzwords. It's it's enjoyable. I real I really do like a good game. I don't like the I don't like the hero worship. Like I oh, no. much rather um, <laughs> idolize a fictional character that I can take pieces from that are useful to me than idolize and in a lot of ways sort of harm society by putting people who play a sport up on a pedestal and let them get away with certain things when they're in college at a certain school um, and not properly prosecuted um but yeah i i have a lot of issues with sports culture yeah but sports itself i think are great no i totally agree um, it's funny to me because I actually had a whole moment thinking about certain uh, certain players, like Russell Wilson for the Seattle Seahawks. Like he was the it guy, but he's not he's not doing great, and like I acknowledge that. And I mean, he's still very good, but he is not playing the way he used to. And I mean, that happens. But I feel like I almost relate it to. Uh, television and film stars that are like super and like how a few years ago we were super into Jennifer Lawrence and we were all about her and now we're all kind of kind of done we're like kind of done and I'm really done like I'll acknowledge I'm really done it's why I haven't seen Passengers and I know that's bad but I'm just I'm over it right now Um, but I mean it's why I like certain actors too like Carl Urban or like I like certain players like Ezekiel Elliott where I'm just like these are people that I think are really, really quality when they're put in their uh, when they're put in the right like scenario, but they're not performing in a way that everyone's like, oh my god, they're amazing. And I mean, 
I still think they are amazing, but I'm not going to get tired of them. And I don't, I don't know. Like, that's just, I think it's, the quality is there. But I think some people are really, really good and they peak. And I think that works for athletes. And I think that works for, like, film and television stars. And I was thinking about that because I was like, I'm pretty sure everyone, everyone's super into Aaron Rodgers. He's very good. Um, he's dating Olivia Munn. I get it. Uh, and he's super dorky, so it's kind of like, oh, he's relatable. But, he's one of us. But, I mean, that's how everyone was about Russell Wilson three years ago, and now there's a lot of hate for him. Well, not everyone, but a fair amount of people were very into Russell Wilson. And so I think Aaron Rodgers, like, this is, like, his peak year. He's going to have another good year be- next year, and then I think the year after he'll be, you know, where Russell Wilson is right now. I'm a big fan of just as far as, career trajectories go the quiet excellence of a person like somebody who's just routinely day in and day out doing the best at their job which is not typically a flashy job great example jk simmons you know he worked for many years you have you have m alumni you have m alumni doing But J.K. Simmons is a great example of somebody who worked for many, many years in small parts, always doing them well. Um, True. Not not being a huge breakout star, lead actor type, necessarily capable, but not the kind of big name that anchors a film necessarily or has some big public persona or whatever. And like Robert Downey Jr. is a very big star, but he went through real hell to get back on top because once you reach that those heights once you reach that level in any field i don't care if you're zuckerberg or steve jobs in tech i don't care if you're a writer i don't care who you are once if you've reached the pinnacle or the peak of your profession and your performance that is very difficult to maintain with that level of exposure and that level of stakes set upon you. And the exact same thing goes for athletes. Derek Jeter was never leading the league in home runs consistently. He never, you know, beat any massive records. Besides, I mean, overall hits, he did a very good job. But he was a consistent player for many, many years. Consistent with RBIs, consistent with hits, consistent fielder. Towards the end of his career, he got a little, uh, a little, I think, I think he stayed too long personally. But he worked very hard and that endeared him to the right people that and being captain of course but it was a much more quiet i'm just going to have sex with models that that sign a non-disclosure agreement very dignified kind of way gotcha um no i i I wholeheartedly agree with you and actually that makes me wonder back to writing um as a writer if there is someone whose career you're like this is they they didn't peak. It's like, I feel like Stephen King has had his peaks. And I think he's a very quality writer, but I think he's had his peaks. Who is like a under the radar a writer for you who is consistently good? I know that's hard because I think everyone kind of does have their peaks. I think consistent working writers are very difficult with novels mm-hmm. because you do get the superstar novel. You get the big hit. I mean, or you get the big series and there's all this pressure on it. Stephen King, J.K. Rowling, Orson Scott Card. Um, there's a lot of examples of people who got into big series um, 
and George R. R. Martin. He's shackled to that now. And there's this consistent expectation on that. But smaller, more under-the-radar people, I would have to go back to Timothy Zahn, who I mentioned earlier, who's been like the working man's sci-fi writer for a very long time. Done a shit ton of Star Wars stuff that's no longer canon. But he um, is one of my favorite writers growing up or in high school because he was so incredibly consistent in tone and in his descriptions and in the way he talked about battles and physical fights between characters it was extremely well constructed and even though he could get kind of heady and a little confusing at times he did a very good job doing what he does every time my film example would be quentin tarantino in that i think he maintains a certain level of quality as a writer Really, you wouldn't um, say he peaks with Pulp Fiction and Inglorious Bastards? In execution. Uh, but I think if you look at his scripts, um, Reservoir Dogs is as tight a script as... Oh, 100%. Um, that yeah, stuck I mean, in the middle a, scene haunts me. The um, And I would also say Django Unchained is a very well-constructed script. Hateful Eight, well-constructed. I think that Jackie Brown is probably the weakest, but he's also adapting somebody else's stuff there. Even True Romance is a very well-constructed script. Um, I think Death Proof had its moments, for me at least. I really like Death Proof. I really like like Death Death Proof. But I think part of that hinges on the performances. I think the script itself, if you just looked at the script, is a little... It's okay. Yeah. It's not as good as some of the others. I think the stakes don't quite get there. Because for me, it was always like pull over and call the cops. Like, I, just, I, I was this, like, what is happening? This doesn't, I don't care where you are. You have a cell phone, call someone. But um, that'd be my film example. And then for like, um, for music, I got to say Billy Joel, who I just got to see for the second time in concert. Nice. But that dude's catalog has his big hits. But as far as an overall songwriter goes, very consistent, very diligent, very hardworking kind of guy. I think Greg Daniels is a good TV example. I think that there are a lot of people out there that are big and you know who they are, but it's not like, you know, Lady Gaga has her year and Jennifer Lawrence has her year and Matthew McConaughey has his year and Tina Fey has her year and everybody has their year or their time. And then there, and those people shine so brightly and just eclipse the popular culture conversation for a while. Mm-hmm. And then there are those that are there for years mm-hmm. and are always a part of the conversation, but not the main focal point. They're not just the obsession that year. They're not. They're not the fix for the fall. They're not the Oscar front runner. But they're yeah. like a Quentin Tarantino movie. You're always going to pay attention to a lot of the time because of the script like he is a great director but i think he's a much better writer i agree i fully agree with that who do you think are some of the unsung consistent like workhorses of of your um entertainment of my entertainment life hmm uh joan didion i just read blue nights and damn it if she wasn't just like fucking poignant and, I mean, that's, like, in her 80s, I believe. Um, but, yeah, just a talent. And just very interesting and flawed in a very interesting way. Um, and she's just sort of all over the map. But she makes me feel things. I, 
Actually, so I've been reading a lot of Carrie Fisher since she passed away. I, like, went to the library, got every book I could. And she was consistently awesome. She is fucking brilliant. I would say Carrie Fisher as far as a writer because people knew her name and people knew what she was doing, but she consistently came up with some really beautiful ideas and some really beautiful opinions of things. And it she till till her last year like she she was doing very interesting things and very unique things and approaching very like hard subjects and i know it's an easy it's an easy answer because like like that's an easy thing to say because it's like well she passed away so obviously it's topical but no like her joan didion is another one um i'm gonna be super super hipster right now and say like i did just read big star by jack kerouac and he is he is really quality. He annoys the hell out of me sometimes, but he is quality. And the same could be said of JD Salinger. Like they are they are people I really, really admire. Margaret Atwood, another one. Margaret Atwood has not really had that like wow moment. Like everyone knows her, but she's just consistently quality. So yeah, also a great Canadian author. I remember that, yeah. <laughs> um so, I mean, I would say they are probably my go-to as far as writers. Um, Greg Daniels, that's a very good point. Greg Daniels is really consistently great. And I've recently become um, very fond of Taika, the director, and he creates some really cool stories. He did the original, apparently, I didn't know this, did the original script for Moana. Um, and they, like, completely rewrote it. But... Like, they wanted, I think, someone, like, of that culture, like, New Zealand, Polynesian culture, to do that. Wait, Taika Watiti? Yeah. Oh, okay. Like, who's doing Thor? You said, you said Taiko, and it, I I, said my Taika. mind went to Mako, and I <laughs> nice. was like, the, the classic Japanese voice actor? Yes, exactly. The voice of Aku? <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, no, uh, who did Hunt for the Wilder People, and he's doing the new Thor film, and I think he will obviously be very big then. I I cannot take credit for for like really being aware of him prior. Uh, I was introduced to the brilliance that is Taika. Uh, I'd say about three months ago. So I'm not. I, I'm just a follower. I'm a joiner. Oh shit! What's the name of the vampire movie? Uh, um, what we do in the shadows. We do in yes. the dark. What we do in the shadows. So good. So so funny. good. So funny. Um, and I mean, like um, having. Uh, have you seen Moana? No. Fuck you, dude. Go see Moana right now. Why are you podcasting with me right now? Go see Moana. Do you know how much a movie ticket is in New York? <laughs> I will fucking. You know? I will fucking send you twenty dollars. I'll send you forty dollars if it means you can I take your wife have to it. Not okay. I started my new job like a week after the election two maybe two weeks after the election so like moana came out and i was like i was like neck deep in the new job and it just didn't happen and i will watch it i'm not avoiding it but like without kids a disney a new disney release is not top priority zootopia was different because i was really excited about it because of reviews that i'd heard it's better really it's better that is high praise. I have not heard that. I've heard quite the opposite. Um, For the soundtrack, man. But like, the soundtrack's fucking great. Listen to the soundtrack while really? you're working. Oh, listen to that fucking soundtrack, dude. 
Like, you don't, how often do you see me get, like, super stoked about, like, animated films? I am the, I'm the only person that most people can, like, source as the person that didn't like Toy Story 3. Oh, I, I felt it was very manipulative. Emotional terrorism, right? Fucking, sorry, I get so pissed about Toy Story 3. I will rewatch it, but it, it pissed me off. I think the purpose of art is to make us feel something in some way by mirroring life or whatever. And I think there is, I think the only, the honest emotional part in that movie is the very end when Andy's playing one last time with the toys. Yes. That to me was very honest. And that got, I mean, the other start stuff was scary and I was like, oh, you're going to trick me into crying. Um, but that was, I, I flashed back to some of my toys where I'm like, whatever happened to those? Those went to Goodwill. I hope some kid got to play with those. Like, and thinking about good times I had with Transformers. I remember blowing all of my allowance. On I thought you were going to say you were blowing it, them up. Like, I totally thought that's no, where you were going. I'm I, like, I, fucking I blew all of kids. my allowance on like a $40 Transformer set from JB Toys. So think about how long ago that was, that that was still a store. We had a JB Toys. Yeah, it was in our mall, and I got the Beast Wars version of Optimus Prime that was like a metallic um, primate. He was like a gorilla, and then his legs could turn into like a hoverboard, and then he'd go full-on like robot. He had like three forms. It was so sick. It was like right before Christmas. My parents were really mad that I bought that because they were probably going to buy it for me. But I couldn't wait. And I was unattended in a mall when I was 10. <laughs> oh, my God. You and I would have been, like, we would have really thrived in our friendship. But we would have, like, uh, it would have been bad. It would have been great. But, I mean, us together in a mall would have been an awful idea. I would have ended up with all the puppies. And <laughs> you would have ended up with all the Transformers. And we would have just been like, yeah, go do it. Because when in doubt, like, you are the person that I'm like, if I want to get approval, I'm like, hey, should I do this? And you're like, yeah, fucking jump off that bridge. Do it for the story. Do it for the story. I mean, I think that is something you have definitely said to me countless times. All right. If you don't get a scar, you can get a tattoo of it later. Exactly. I'm getting ready for another tattoo right now. Oh, what's this one? Uh... It is Dallas related. Um, there is a Pegasus that is the old logo. Gosh, I can't remember the the company right now. There's an old logo, and it's this Pegasus. And my friend and I, uh, Lindsay, who I have two tattoos with, she actually has it tattooed on her arm. But we call it Nene Tweet Tweet because it's a Pegasus. It's it's this whole thing, but I love it. I love it's just. It's just very cool. But you know how I have birds going across my back? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to get the nae tweet tweet, like, on my back with the birds. Is it going to be chasing the birds? I kind of thought it would be, like, leading the birds because it kind of thinks it's a bird. Like, that's my whole theory. I made up a little story in my head last time I was in Dallas for 18 hours and, you know, dying because I had a migraine. Again, that's that's a theme. Um, tell, tell me about it. Yeah, like, like that night, I thought I was going to, I was like, I'm going to die in this hotel room in Dallas, and no one will care. <laughs> so I have had, I have had a migraine consistently for two weeks. Um, it oh. turns out that a root canal and crown I got in college four years ago was not finished. They didn't cap off the back of the the base of the tooth. 
So I have a really severe infection. Oh no! That is just making this whole half of my head ache. So I went in and went to the dentist and he took x-rays and really like fancy, nice digital stuff. You could put it through different light filters and zoom and all kinds of crazy. You're an adult. I fucking get it. Whatever. I know, right? (laughs) Um, And I was like, here's my dental insurance number. I'm so grown up. I don't Um, have one of those. Only medical. I wouldn't be impressed with me. I am a mess of a human. (laughs) I'm often impressed with you. I'm, I'm actually quite often impressed with you. Especially when I read uh, I read your reading for this week. Oh, oh. Well, so that was... Effortless transition. Take notes, people. <sighs> All right, so let's... pivot. Let's talk about a poem. Because I'm doing something new and I'm reading a poem. Uh, so this poem is called Horizon. And some portion of it is going to be on a bus. But I have no fucking clue what portion that is. So here we go. There is salt on skin, remnants of waves biting my shins, my thighs, my toes, sand making patterns between freckles, water exposing divots of life in sand. The salt water is known. The ocean and these rocks are proven. I see concrete testimony of history in the shells between my feet, fossils encased in liquid, liquid spanning to horizon, Faith would never be so simple, but this water makes sense. I make sense in waves. There is no evidence to tell us what to believe, so I worship the sea. I praise the salt that clings to me, the waves rhythmically crashing, creating a mantra for girls stranded on the shore. Welcome back. Hello. Um, that is a poem I wrote while I was having a drunken beach day with Lars. Because in right. Seattle, when it's nice out, Lars and I go and take a bunch of cider, and cider being alcoholic cider, and we sit on the beach that's near my house because it's like very easy to get to the beach from where I live, and we like will just sit in the sun and write or read. It's really fun. Even um, though I've met him, every time you mention Lars, I just think of the character Lars on Steven Universe. Yeah, no, I mean, like, I, yeah. I mean, and he is kind of a caricature of a human. I just read a poem that I wrote while I was drunk. Shocking, though it may seem. Don't let them peek behind the curtain like that. Make it seem like you just roll out of bed and are brilliant. You're like, oh, I'm just going to write a poem. Yeah, I wrote a hilarious poem that I will probably never read because it's kind of about sex. And I was like, well, there's a chance my mom would read it. And so... I, f- I mean, I know I know she understands it as a 28-year-old woman that I might be familiar with the subject, but... Well, I like to, fo- I like to follow the advice, right? Like, your parents are dead. Like, I, I, like my, I have not taught my parents how to listen to podcasts. Because I don't... I, don't, I honestly... It's not, it's not for them. I know they wouldn't enjoy 20 minutes of banter. So I don't, uh, I don't push it. They know that I do it, and I just told them it's probably, it's probably not for you. Um, but getting back to your poem, something I really like about it is the nature of liquid in relationship to poetry, both in the fluidity of language and how poetry doesn't really make sense, kind of like the way water will trickle and flow coming off a given a a roof or setting in a weird puddle like water does what water wants to do it's never going to 
It behaves somewhat predictably, but it's also unstoppable. Water will, over time, erode mountains. I mean, look at the, look at the Grand Canyon. You will know this better if you see Moana. Oh, yeah? Yeah, water's a key character, just so you know. I, I Listen, I've had it up to here with hydrokinesis, okay? Um, <laughs> Continue. But, I mean, this... Um, there's an agedness to the words and there's like a reverence for the power of water without being timid about it, like really experiencing it. It's, um, if we're going to put it in Campbell terms, it's the meeting the goddess moment. It feels very much like coming into contact with an otherworldly power. I mean, you even acknowledge it, um, saying there's no evidence, um, to tell us what to believe. So I worship the sea there is a power given to it that I think, I mean, living in a coastal city, you're more in touch with it. But even then, I mean, unless you live on an island, like a true island, it's it's easy to take the sea for granted and just think, oh, the sea is the thing that's there. But like, it is power and it is constant and it is terrifying in a lot of ways. But to see that beauty and appreciate it and write about not not even appreciating it, but experiencing it. You you wrote it. You wrote this this poem when you were drunk. But what was the edit process like for you? Um, like, oh, this is like the this is the words? fifth edition of this poem. Um, I wrote it first for the poetry blog. Everything's an island, and uh, because faith would never be so simple. Obviously, that's a line from Everything's an Island. I like that. I remember that. Um, they stick. They stick in your head. Megan actually made a comment, my my dear friend Megan, whom you know, uh, made a comment that when I am feeling like cleansed or like good about things, I tend to write about water. Like it's a, it's, it's a common theme, the water or the sky, they seem to be these things that come back in my poems and it's more of a clarity kind of uh, analogy with them. And that particular day, I was just feeling very content with my choices um, I've chosen to live a creative life and that that is going to be part of my life. And I think, um, I have very supportive friends when it comes to my choices. I don't think that was necessarily, I think I had supportive friends in Montana, but I don't think any of them saw what I was doing as worthwhile. Like not you, but I mean, like, I don't think they saw like writing as a career, as a, as a, a choice for my life. Well, and don't you also think there comes a pivot point where you, at a certain point, you believe it? Like, not even like, oh, I'm going to do this for a living, or this is my life, but just when it becomes a fact about yourself? Like, you you write poems, and then one day you're a poet. Mm -hmm. Like, in your, own, in your own mind. I think just by the act of writing, you're a writer, period. Mm -hmm. But I think there comes this sort of badge of honor self-identification moment that's different for everybody as to the moment like for me it was when I finished my first play I was like oh no I'm I'm really a writer I'm not dicking around anymore and I think I don't begrudge anyone who thought of me as funny man Dan because I that's I wasn't saying to the world I am a writer oh I've never thought you were uh, funny and, so that's good no, that's fine. That makes that makes a lot of sense, actually. It does. That, uh, yeah, that's kind of that's illuminating. It answers a lot about our friendship. 
Anyway. I like to think that people thought I was funny until they heard 20 minutes of banter and realized that Austin's the funny one and I've just been ripping him off our entire lives. I realized that at your wedding, actually. What can I say about Dan that he hasn't already said about himself? It was so funny that I remember it like three years later. And it was, and it was perfectly delivered. I gotta give him that. He did was... very well. He was a very good best man. I would have also been a very good best man. Just putting it out there. Just putting it out. I'm kidding. Wearing your tux from the Ellen DeGeneres collection. <laughs> hey, man, I rocked it as an usher at your wedding. I was amazing. You, you understand, though, you like, washed, if, if... You washed hard. <laughs> in the off chance that someone will ever choose to spend their life with me again. Um, I can. Mm, well, you know, that's, that's accurate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's not something we've talked about on the podcast, but yeah. I would you would I I wouldn't probably do the traditional thing, but you would definitely be my best, uh, my man of honor. You would be my man of honor. Oh. I would have like witnesses mainly, but you'd get a title. You'd be the man of honor. As long as I get to give a toast, that's all I care about. I need a little me time at other people's life events. <laughs> Just for once in my life, I'd like you to come to my fucking wedding. Like that's all I'm asking. Okay, I'll come to this <laughs> wedding. <laughs> All right, continue. Wait, I like a really that. bad joke in there about making the next one. <laughs> no, I mean, it's funny to even assume that someone would ever want to live their life with me. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm going to die alone. Um, continue. What were we talking about? Funny Man Dan. That was it. That's where we were going. No, but like uh, going back to this notion of cleansing and the things that kind of put you at peace. Um, I've got a similar relationship with particularly Flathead Lake, but also just writing about the Montana countryside. And also, I find real comfort in writing in, like, um, ruins and urban decay only because it's uh, a testament to work that came before me. And to see things, you know, pyramids, freestanding columns, the pavement that I walk on that have been intentionally built by other people and how they've lasted or not lasted, but were put forward with such intention is, it's inspiring to me. I really like it. Um, no, I agree. I agree. And I think in Seattle, Seattle is built on top of Seattle, which I find funny um, because we were really poor city planners apparently initially. I think in Seattle, you don't get the ruins aspect as much. Seattle's a fairly mm -hmm. new city as far as cities go. And I think the sea is like the agent yeah. part of it. Like I think going to West Seattle is also an experience because that was the first settled area of Seattle um, by by like settlers and uh, by, by Native American tribes. And so that's why it's called Alki Beach because it means by and by. Yeah. Uh, which is one of my favorite things about Seattle is we have an Alki Beach, and that's be it means uh, I not Salish, maybe Salish, um, that oh, it, it means be. by and by. I love it. I absolutely love it because it's called. Uh, it was called originally. I think it was called like New York Alki because there's a oh, little cool. Statue of Liberty, and and uh, yeah, I'll send you a picture sometime. Uh, you should send a picture of the regular Statue of Liberty and also in Seattle, which is much smaller. Um, but it's called like New York Alki. It was, or for a long time it was, and which means oh, cool. New York by and by. 
I don't know. Weird shit. That, but that, like, that's historic Seattle. I actually, uh, but the ruins aspect of that, I find very poignant because some of the best writing I've ever done was in, uh, well, in the Lake District outside of London, like uh, Northern England, and uh, also in Florence when I lived in Florence. That was that was like some of the best writing I wrote. And it's funny when you were talking about how you looked at that script and you were like, "Oh, I hate it," and then you read it again. And you're like, "That's funny," because often I will submit like something or I will save something on a on my drive and be like, "I just don't fucking like this anymore." And then I'll read it six months later and be like, wow, I really like this. Yeah, when the tunnel vision when the tunnel vision wears off, like I find the retrospective look back and like, what was good? What was bad? And just with having some distance is helpful. Like to to turn around and see what you've done in all aspects. I mean, really, like even I mean, even this year, like just looking back and was like, yeah, a lot was shitty, but like what was good? And yeah. Actually, speaking of that, um, beautiful segue, uh, what would you say, now that 2016 is done, it's gone, it's dead, um, what would you say was the best moment of 2016, and what would you say is the worst moment? In general or personally? I want to say personally, because I think that really affects you as a writer, like, yeah. more. You, if you want to go like pop culture or whatever, I will not judge you. No, no. I'm um, wondering personally. Personally, the best moment of this year was staying in New York and everything that that entailed because we were very um, actively considering uh, moving other places and looking at costs and options and it was a lot of starting over and the financial situation here was unsustainable but job stuff came along and things worked out that way but also our personal relationships just flourished as soon as we like flipped the switch that we're like we're looking to move the personal relationships just got come here you're fine um the personal relationships just took off and the creative and the creative ones did too and there was just a there was a real call to stay and then more job stuff worked out and more creative things worked out and more connections happened um for both me and courtney and like that was the best part of 2016 was deciding to leave and then realizing we should stay that was real that was a really powerful part of the yeah. year yeah, if you stay one more year, I'm not thinking you're going to leave anytime soon. Yeah, we're invested in a lot of people and projects here um, in a real way. That's, yeah. It's great. Um, I think the, the worst part was probably um, uh, I had a lot of individual issues with some relationships that I was on the fringe of but not on the fringe of but I had a lot of people in my life where two people were fighting sustained for months or in one case the entire year and I was um mediating for an entire year with one relationship and that was really fucking exhausting and that that just 
drains the batteries you know yeah no i i totally i mean like we both come from big families and i think that is just an element of it and i think you and i both are kind of observers and peacekeepers in a lot of ways and so Mm -hmm. we get put into that place i totally get that though no but i'm glad i i honestly as much as i was excited for your adventures because i mean the it i is it okay to say what you were thinking about doing in the fall yeah 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 so i mean i knew you were planning on going to maine originally you had you had plans to do that and i was really excited for you but part of me selfishly kind of felt like your story with new york wasn't over and so i'm glad that you decided to stay as much as it would have been cool if you had decided to move to seattle or decided to move a little bit closer that would have been great too But, I mean, I guess I felt like, especially as I have lived in Seattle, I had a few years of real struggle to figure out my place in Seattle. And then once I figured that out, it felt better. Mm -hmm. And I wanted you to feel, feel settled. And I don't feel like you got that yet because you moved here. And then there was like that whole first year, a lot of it was building up to getting married. And then after that, it was being married and figuring out that. And you also had a roommate. Um, Yeah. (laughs) And I think that like adds a certain dynamic too. Love you, Clark. But it adds a certain dynamic. And so you have to figure that out. And I think now this is like your first, this will be your first full year of getting to be a married couple. And yes, you'll have people stay and people visit it and everything but yeah yeah it's it's good to have a sort of clarity now a little bit more under our belt and a lot more happening and I like our apartment feels like home and our friendships feel real and necessary really vital um so it's been it's it's been good. <laughs> yeah, when you post when you posted that whole thing about your your apartment and having another room I'm like fuck if I was living in New York, I would move there. Two bedrooms in Brooklyn. Oh, hells yeah. yes. Um, yeah, it's, you know, I, I mean, I'm happy, though. I'm ex- I'm very excited to come see you guys in a few months. Um, Us, too. I think it'll be fun if we, I think it'll be fun if we podcast, like, yeah. together. I think that'll be really cool. Oh, it'll be great. We'll podcast on your work computer. It'll be great. Um... Uh, what, uh, yeah, uh, I mean, what, what, uh, really marked this as a banner year? Um, yeah, like spit, spit your rhyme, spit your rhyme, girl. Tell me, tell me about your best. I'll yeah. spit my rhymes. All right. So my best was probably, I was published this year. That was very exciting. Woo-hoo. Um, and without, without like discussing my personal life too extensively, I did, I, I met someone this year that has affected my life yeah. greatly and in good, you know, there's been hard stuff, but uh, that has been really good for me in a lot of ways because of who I was as a person prior to that and who I am now. Um, for bad, I, I am... <laughs> I have diagnosed depression, and so I had a pretty major episode of that, and that has been incredibly hard for me to to overcome because depression is not an easy thing, but it has also, I've been able to find a silver lining in it in that I've taken a lot of time for self-reflection on who I am, and it has affected my writing in a good way, 
And I think this next year, as far as 2017 goes, I think I have finally figured out what works for me as a writer and both as a collaborator and as a solo writer. And I actually have my first really big solo thing that I am doing, a solo project that I'll talk about later on once it's fully established that I'm very excited about. And I have a few people helping me as far as work, like artwork goes and things like that. And I have uh, a former photographer for our blog is giving me a lot of input, which I'm really excited about. Awesome. And so that's been really, yeah, it's been really exciting. And I'll talk about it later, but it's still like, it's it's in that opening stages and it's actually got me really excited. And it's the first thing I'm like really undertaking fully as just me and I'll have other people involved in it, but I'm really excited as far as that oh, goes. That's exciting. What about you for 2017? Is there like something big or is there something you're like really hoping to achieve this year? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, getting this, these pilot scripts done and uh, submitting to the Disney ABC Writers Program in May. Uh, oh yeah, I should probably get working on that too, shouldn't I? Yeah, probably. But it's cool. Fuck. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's my big, uh, that's kind of my big push. And I'm trying to make some, I'm going to murder this fucking cat. Um, and I'm going to try and uh, push really hard on a couple of industry connections I have and try to ask for things that I want to really get ahead as a writer um, for the first time. So yeah, that's that's where I'm at. Well, How about you? What's What's the big goal this year? Besides the big personal project you've just talked about. So I don't know why I'm circling um, back. Yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> well, if for those who weren't listening the first time, it's that personal project. I also, I have been published now once. I have helped, I have gotten a placing in like a competition now once. And so far I am about two for three as far as submission goes, as far as getting accepted to things. So I really want to, I want to increase my submission rates because I get really over analytical about my edits and things like that. And so I want to submit more. And there's an event that I've been slowly contributing on um, for the last year. And I want to get that done because there's, in Seattle, there's a big opening as far as literary stuff goes. Uh, There's a big, uh, there's an event that normally happens in March and it, it, it had its last run this last year. And so I'm kind of hoping that an event that I am going to also be heading will be the big writing event for March. And so we'll see if that happens. But that well, is a goal for me. That's a and lot to look also, forward to. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. I mean, I'm. I mean, I'm just I'm hoping to just do better. I feel like each year has been like a bigger like year for me as far as being a writer for the last four years. And so, I mean, I've, I'm it's really thanks to you and our collaboration to begin with, because it held me accountable. And I, I think I'm hoping that 2017 is just a better year like I I understand that everyone feels 2016 was kind of shit but I I felt like I grew a lot and I think it was a growth year and I think it was a year of like self-reflection for a lot of people and I'm really working to become a better version of who I am and I'm hoping for patience and understanding as far as that when it comes to me as a person and as a writer so yeah that's that's how I'm uh, what I'm looking forward to well, you heard it here first, folks. Come back for uh, the next chapters because we're on a journey, and this is going to be a crazy awesome year. This is going to be a roller coaster 
tycoon year. Um, now go murder <laughs> a cat. You finally found the episode <laughs> no. title. Roller tycoon. Roller coaster tycoon year. Roller coaster tycoon year. Yes. Uh, it's so good. Slow claps out. <laughs>